0: Hi, and welcome to the Greeners Podcast, an unfiltered discussion related to health and healthcare. My name is
1: Amy. And my name is Sarah.
0: And we are your podcast hosts. So today we are actually going to be talking a little bit about IENs. It's such a hugely important topic and it's really topical right now. And not only are we going to talk about IENs, which I should say it's internationally educated nurses, we are also going to talk about agency nurses because there's been some news spreading around, lots of words, hurt feelings, but we need to start putting things into perspective. And that's what we're going to do today. So Sarah, can you please put things into perspective? perspective?
1: Well, I think that when I first thought about this topic, I really think at the end of the day, I'm not on either side. What I'm looking for are better working conditions for nurses. That's it. So it's not like I'm taking one side or the other. So I don't want people to think that as we're doing this episode, it's really just about talking about the issues. And there's been a lot of controversy. So we just really want to, you know, Educate everyone about what is actually happening. So in our neck of the woods in Ontario, we have the Ontario Nurses Association, which is basically the main uh, nurses union in Ontario. So they recently issued a statement. Um, and this is from the new president. Her name is Erin Aris. She is an emergency department nurse from Kitchener. And she only started her term on Monday. Wow. But it sounds like she's <laughs> making some waves already. Yeah. So what she's saying is that they really want to uh, discourage the use of agency nurses. They want to limit the amount of money that the government is spending on agency nurses because a number of hospitals have been turning to agencies to solve their staffing problems. And, um, you know, this has resulted in millions of dollars being used on agency nurses. And of course the thing is as a staff nurse, you see someone making two to even three times more than what you're making. And that obviously is going to create some conflicts. Right, right. So I think the real issue is, um, we're not trying to vilify agency nurses. We're not trying to say you should or shouldn't do whatever, but it's more about like, on a bigger scale, what is the government actually doing to address this problem? It can't be throwing more money into agencies.
0: Right. right? No, no I, I agree with you. And I think this is where we have to talk about why we've kind of paired the two together, why we've paired internationally educated nurses with talking about agency nurses, because there is, you know, there is the fact that there a lot of agency nurses are also you know, internationally educated nurses. Not all, I, I so don't don't take that as a fact, but not mm-hmm. all, but mm-hmm. there are quite a few that are also internationally educated nurses. So I think this is a conversation that we need to have because at the end of the day, with such a bold statement of saying, you know what, um, the, the target of the new president of the Ontario Nurses Association is to eliminate agency nurses, we gotta talk about it. Because yeah. I even was like, what? What do you mean we're gonna yeah. eliminate them?
1: The Ontario Nurses Association's newly elected president is hoping to put an end to the use of agency nurses. The Kitchener Emergency Department nurse is one day into her term and wasted no time trying to level the playing field. CTV's Spencer Turcott spoke with Erin Aris earlier today. And Spencer, agency nurses don't work for a hospital or long-term care home, but instead are brought in to really cover those vacancies.
2: And often at twice the pay, those nurses don't have benefits or a pension, but the pay is much higher making these positions quite attractive they all may be dressed the same but it seems there's a significant imbalance among Ontario nurses what we're seeing is uh,
0: agency nursing has become commonplace in our community
2: Erin Aris is the Ontario Nurses Association's newly elected president she's an emergency department nurse from Kitchener and has noticed more long-term care homes and hospitals hiring private agency nurses to cope with critical shortages Prior to the pandemic, we really didn't need agency nurses. She's worked alongside agency nurses and says she has no intent to vilify them. But when they're brought in to cover vacancies, they get a much higher pay.
0: As a nurse in a unionized position, I would often make half uh, of what an agency nurse would make. In some cases, they would make three times
2: what we would make. She says nurses on the floor then have to dedicate a lot of time getting the agency nurses up to speed with protocols and policies. It's something Ashley Fox says she has seen firsthand, working as both a registered practical nurse and agency nurse in long-term care.
0: We have the benefit of knowing the routine. We have the benefit of knowing the residents. Um, we, off the back of our head, you know, we all know what our favorite soft drink is, what our favorite, what our morning routine is. Coming in without having that routine can be a little confusing. Uh, And you've also got a lot of questions from uh, the staff and residents because you're not the person they see on a regular basis.
2: The ONA wants to get rid of agency or privatized nursing because they are paid through public funds. Instead, they want to see more competitive wages for frontline and unionized nurses. More staffing is a must, too. In a statement to ctv news a spokesperson for the minister of health says hospitals have always had the ability to use agency nurses saying in part the proportion of agency nurses has decreased from 3.8 percent in 2017 to 3.2 percent in 2021 and remains to be under one percent of the total hours worked in hospitals for those working in health care they say as long as the agency option is there nurses will continue to find that path attractive because of the greater pay and greater flexibility. So the other concern with agency nursing is that the vetting process may not be as in depth. That's because when they're called upon, they're usually needed in a pinch with no time to waste. Alex.
1: All right, CTV Spencer Turcott bringing us this story tonight. Thank you, Spencer.
0: And the more and more I thought about it is the more and more it's starting to make a little bit of sense. But before I get into that, let's talk about exactly what an agency nurse actually is. So, um, or sorry, an internationally educated nurse is. So a nurse that, an internationally educated nurse is a nurse that's educated outside of North America in a predominantly non-English speaking country whose English may not be their first language. Um, We have a lot of nursing associations that are actually providing lots of resources and supports and really what it looks like, it's how do we go about establishing requirements for internationally educated nurses to be registered in Canada. There's programs that are available to help make this transition to teach about, you know, Canadian system, how things look differently here. And then also helping with, you know, language to ensure that you have the knowledge, skill, and judgment to be a nurse in Canada. So there's lots of links. We'll drop them all at the at the end of the, the episode. Also, internationally educated nurses have to apply and write a licensing exam. And after they write a licensing exam, the College of Nurses in Ontario or wherever they're writing, um, will they have to do this multiple choice exam? And once they actually complete that and they pass it, they are nurses that are able to practice here within Canada. So again, I think that's a really important part where we should be saying, you know, once an internationally educated nurse passes all the certifications,
1: Mm -hmm. they're ready to practice. Right. And I think that the process has looked very different over the years where... Uh, I used to work with a lot of IENs and you know, they came from countries like the Philippines. They came from um, like all over the world really. And you know, I think the, the process, the way that it looks now, it's very long, it's very arduous. There's a lot of bureaucracy. I have spoken to nurses who have been trying for more than five years actually to get licensed. And meanwhile, they're working at places like Tim Hortons. They're working at minimum wage jobs we are losing the skills that they have and they're getting discouraged and a lot of them give up along the way because it's just too hard and it shouldn't be that way. At the same time, we're dealing with major staffing crises where we can't attract or retain nurses and there are a huge pool of nurses that are just sitting there ready to work Um, and I know that there have been some initiatives. I do think that there needs to be more put into place and I think we should discuss, you know, what that looks like but also what the pros and cons are to being an agency nurse. I think not everybody, knows what that looks like
0: well i think Hmm. that's the conversation so do you want to talk about a little bit more about what an agency nurse actually is
1: so i think when you think about staffing right when you think about the hospital there are nurses that are full-time part-time and casual but they actually work for the hospital right? right right um Obviously, when there are sick calls or shortages, you're going to be using some of your part-time and your casual staff. But what happens when they're not able to work? Right. Then agency used to be kind of the last resort. Like I remember on very few occasions in um, – postpartum we had agency nurses and I don't blame them for feeling uncomfortable I had worked with one once who'd never even cared for a baby before wow that's And crazy. so we're like okay oh, you just take care of the mom make sure right, she's right. fine we'll do the baby care like we don't want to put you in undue stress or you know, have anything go wrong so that used to be the way it was right but obviously during the pandemic there were just a lot of provisions put into place I believe the government gave emergency funding to organizations to yes, use yes. agencies and a lot of nurses were actually leaving their jobs to work at agencies because why not the money's better right the flexibility is better so i think when i really think about the draws to being agency nurse it's number one the money and number two the flexibility so um for example single moms might want to be agency nurses because they don't have childcare, right um or maybe someone who just wants to make that extra money who's not looking for benefits or a pension might be drawn to that um i do see a lot of negatives though like i think if you really think about what some of the negatives are for a staff nurse. Uh, I have heard of them having much harder assignments. Yep. <laughs> so they kind of get the crappy assignments that nobody wants, similar to a travel nurse. Uh, you don't really have a home base, so you could be working at up to 20 different hospitals. I mean, obviously you can choose, you can pick and choose, but sometimes you just have to take what you're given.
0: Right, right, right.
1: Um, outrageously hourly rates that organization are are billed from the agency. Mm -hmm. So upwards of a hundred dollars an hour, that certainly doesn't all go to the nurse. A lot of that goes to the agency and there actually are not very many uh, regulations on agencies. Um, I also think like, like you said, IENs are particularly vulnerable because they really don't have a lot of flexibility or stability in the type of work that they choose. And ultimately this comes out of our taxpayer dollars. Right. Right. So it's not that this money is coming out of nowhere. It actually comes from people paying taxes. And I guess ultimately it creates a divide between hospital agency nurses. And 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 I feel like there's so much divide in nursing already. This is just creating a further divide. So really, it's just about addressing the root cause of this issue. How did we get to a place where we're using so much agency and we can't seem to attract or retain nurses to work at the actual organizations?
0: Well, this is where I'd say like you're hitting the nail on the head, right? I mean, there's a lot of different issues. And I think this is where I like to say, you know, like hate hate the game, not the player, right? I think this is where we need to look at why are these things being allowed to continue? Like, why are that? Why in the first place were, are there private agencies? Why are hospitals chronically understaffing, you know, full-time nurses? I, I think back to even my career, I didn't really have very many full-time roles. Like most of my roles were part-time and that's not because I didn't want to work in a full-time capacity. It's because there just weren't enough spots. And I, I wanted to kind of touch quickly on this, like Ontario liberal MPP who introduces a bill, in relation to something called price gouging. And this is looking at, you know, back again at these temporary agencies. And I think this is where, you know, people are calling are really sounding the alarm bell. So hospitals, long-term care homes and other healthcare agencies have relied for years on private for-profit agencies to provide nurses, to provide nurses, personal support workers and other staff to cover vacancies. However, critics say that the model is very costly, unfair and lures workers away from permanent jobs. So liberal MVP, a deal I'm going to, I'm, Uh, Liberal MPP Adil Shamjay's bill. I I hope I said that correct. Um, The nursing, uh, the temporary nursing agency licensing and regulation act includes mandatory licensing and, uh, for temporary nursing agencies and a ban on unconscionable pricing and the res- and restrictions on how they can recruit. I think this is a hugely important conversation because, again, we're looking at seeing upwards of like twenty five thousand vacancies of nursing positions in Canada. But again, who is paying for it? So it's coming off of the hospital's bottom line. And this is where like my mind starts to turn because again, yeah, you might be, if you're a staff nurse, you're making your $40 or $46 an hour. And I think that's, that's a nurse who's probably worked for like five plus years or whatever the case is, this may be. And this is a registered right?
1: nurse's right. Uh, salary, not so, registered practical. Basically. 100%. Yeah.
0: So they would be making whatever it is and I an IN might come in making $20, $30 more, sometimes higher. And who's paying for that? Well, the hospital's paying for that where does the hospital get their budget from? They get it from the province. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, I saw, I saw an article where it says like the, like this practice can actually bankrupt healthcare. If you're spending up to 550% more on, on these in this area, it's hugely problematic. Uh, So I did see an article that was written like during the fiscal year that ended in 2021, UHN spent about $776,000 on agency nursing. And that should be money that really is going towards, you know, paying nurses who are working the staff. They should be hiring full-time staff Mm -hmm. to be doing that. But because we're in this particular crunch where, you know, um, nurses are not being respected, Bill 124, all of these various different things, it is causing this for-profit model to actually, you know, make money off of the backs of nurses. So this is where I say, like I see people saying, you know, it's agency nurses, It's agency nurses. No, it's the agency. Right. Like that's what we should be focusing on the agency that's creating this profit disparity.
1: Right. And I guess any reasonable person listening might be like, Well, if that's the case, why are we paying two to three times more for agency nurses? Why shouldn't we put more money into hiring actual staff? Right. That is a really great question I would love the answer to as well. And if you think about budgets, right, it's very uh, complicated. So like everything that a hospital pays for has to come out of a certain budget line. Right, right. So obviously there isn't enough money for whatever reason to hire more permanent staff, more full-time staff. Um, Again, this goes back to the funding model and where they actually get their money from right? And that goes back to government decisions. So if the government is putting more res- resources into private sector, then that's what's going to happen. And we've already talked about the slippery slope that is happening, right? right. With the private privatization of healthcare. Well, this is exactly what's happening, but I don't think people realize until they get to a hospital and there aren't enough nurses, or there are nurses who, um, are not quite sure how the unit functions. So one of the articles I read as well is not only are agency staff being paid more, the existing staff are expected to train them.
0: Mm, Right. (laughs) And how long is that person (laughs) going to
1: be on the unit? Like how many shifts are they actually going to be working for? And then additional responsibility placed on the staff that chose to stay for someone that's going to just make double for having the same skill that they have. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think this is where it's really important for us to talk about some of those some of the arguments that we are hearing. So I think you, you kind of already touched on the whole issue of like pay inequity, right? So we do see the disparity between the fact that, you know, staff nurses don't make as much as agency nurses. So my first thought is, well, why do we ensure that we pay staff nurses so they want to be in these roles that we don't have, you know, the price gouging of agency nurses. It's creating that opportunity for nurses to be like, you know what, this organization doesn't respect me. So why would I actually go work for them? And then again, there, are there. There are those issues and I don't know if you've probably, I don't know if you've heard or, you you know, within your own experience where we talk about like knowledge versus experience or skill. So we already kind of talked at the top of the episode saying that at the end of the day, um, an IEN is a nurse that is able to work here in Canada. They have the knowledge, skill and judgment. And I think what people are talking about is, you know, language barriers. I really think that, you know, at the end of the day, that's something that it's not a hurdle that we can't deal with at the end Mm -hmm. of the day they wrote a licensing exam in English Mm -hmm. they did their they have to do OSCE so that's the other piece of it they have to also you know do actually like you know verbalize what they need to do so I just feel like that's not an excuse anymore don't don't say that you know these people don't have the knowledge skill and judgment they pass the exam they do if the barrier is English that's a different hurdle and we can all uh, like deal with that and I don't I, I hate that argument when it comes up
1: Right. And I think dealing with that is a much less expensive issue than trying to train (laughs) someone that does speak English and doesn't have a nursing background. So let's just put things into perspective. A hundred percent. I agree with you. (laughs) Um, I think also like we, you, we had a point here about, um, holding agencies accountable and not the nurses. Yes. Now I'm not a total expert on this, but I believe that the barrier for entry to creating an agency is not that high. So, um, anybody really could go out and say, I'm going to create an agency like a home care agency. I'm going to start hiring staff. I can build whatever I want to the organizations and they're going to pay because they're desperate. Yeah. So there needs to be some form of regulation because who's to say that I couldn't go to this hospital and say that I'm going to charge you $200 an hour. I'm going to pay my staff maybe 40 to $50 and I'm going to pocket the rest.
0: You're hundred <laughs> percent right. Like, I mean, I think there is actually no oversight. I remember actually doing some reading. I looked at the Ontario um, health coalition's website and they said there is very little public information about how much is being spent on agency staff. And most of it is really anecdotal. So like, it was probably our first little glimpse to hearing, you know, like UHN saying that they're spending almost upwards of a million dollars on agency nurses. But again, Like, we don't know. I would love to know how much hospitals just in general are spending on on agency nurses and then not even just that piece but how much profit are these agencies actually taking away right Mm. i think that they they're for profit they are making money and you know there's there's the talks of like mike harris and these various different people who are a part of some of these agencies and again i think it's just we need to have regulation we need to have oversight we need to have accountability and until those structures are put in place then we're going to continue to see the slippery slope of you know nurses moving into agency roles and seeing this contention which is really problematic to me i think that we shouldn't be fighting agency nurses per se but we should be fighting the system that creates the need for agency nurses
1: and the agency nurses are i've, I've spoken personally to nurses who have and even uh, personal support workers or PSWs who have worked for agencies and told me that they didn't get paid. Mm -hmm. They worked their hours. They just didn't get paid. They're they're chasing them down to get paid. And someone reached out to me saying, this is what happened to my friend. Um, What am I, how can I help this person? And this person has already gone to the labor board and started that process, but it takes so long and it's so cumbersome that I don't know. I don't know if there could be more support out there for people that just aren't getting paid. Like I think that people take these jobs on because either they don't have the choice or they need that flexibility and they've been taken advantage of, and they don't have a voice Yeah. when something like this happens. And I'm sure it's happened more than once. Right.
0: Yeah. And you're, you're a hundred percent right. I think the other pieces we we've talked about, you know, the abuse of international educated nurses or agency nurses, you know, getting these heavier assignments, having to work much harder, um, you know, being mistreated on the units and, you know, really agency nurses and internationally educated nurses were supposed to be kind of a band-aid solution. They were supposed to kind of help the workforce, but they weren't supposed to be something that was like the actual way to deal with the, the nursing crisis and the shortage that we have. And again, this is where we need to put pressure on our governments. We need to put pressure on making sure that there are better regulations and we need to have unions that are stronger. Like, I mean, I'm seeing now the fact that I think back to like even five years ago, I never saw campaigning or nurses you know, walking out and talking about the things that we need. And now we're starting to see that rise and starting to see it happen more often. But we do need to have strength in numbers and, you know, one, one person said to me yesterday, they're like, well, it's only bona fide members that are attending, going to be able to attend these meetings. Well, how how much support can you garner if you're only going to have a select few people? I think this is where we should open the conversation. Have other nurses join to say, because you know what? At the end of the day, we're all nurses. We're all trying to work and have the same goal. These, these various different fractures. I find it problematic. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have a town hall where, yes, you invite your unionized nurses, but invite other nurses to the table because we do have a say. Maybe those other nurses work for for agencies. And, you know, I guess a part of the contention is if you get rid of agency nurses, nurses have to be a part of a union, right? Unless you work for a non-union hospital. So let's have the conversation where we can all talk together and say, how can we meet the needs of one, patients and families, because that's what our focus should be on. Our focus should really be on making sure that we ensure that, you know, patients are getting the care that they need at the end of the day, that they're getting the services that, we're, that we've that we outlined, that we said that we want to actually prescribe, and that we're meeting the standard of care. Because right now, I don't think that we are meeting the standard of care. I think that we are really failing Canadians and, you know, failing the healthcare system if we don't have the correct staffing in place. And I would, I'll be honest, I was shocked to see that this was the first initiative that was going to be taken on.
1: Yeah. And you know, just going back to the pay, I can't, I can't finish this episode out without mentioning the fact that the BC nurses just negotiated a 13% pay <laughs> don't, raise. Sarah, don't. This is going to be another episode <laughs> in itself, but I just want to just bring that to everyone's attention that unions can make a difference right so this is an example of effective bargaining i would say yep from the bc uh, nurses union and really the fact that they already have staffing uh ratio legislation i think they're way ahead of the game i would love to see other uh, provinces come on board um so congrats to new nurses out in bc um i think that we just need to continue to advocate for what's right and the fact is we have so many band-aid solutions Um, and we label people and put them in so many boxes, but we're still not really achieving what we all want to do, which is really just high quality patient care, making sure people fall through the cracks, making sure that people aren't waiting and dying in emergency rooms. Um, or, you know, making care accessible to those that need it the most.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that should be our, that should be what we have as an end site and goal always. It's always about patient safety and not compromising that. And I think that through this entire pandemic and, you know, as it's becoming more endemic, that we have sacrificed patient safety. We have compromised patient, better patient outcomes. And that's because, you know, as much as we are trying to have that conversation as much as nurses are raising and sounding the alarm bell the change isn't happening nearly fast enough and this is why i i continue to beg for for nurses to kind of come together to have these conversations and we do need to like be like okay you know what 3% is shit it's garbage, garbage. <laughs> like we we're seeing that there are other negotiations that can happen like i got a, i got a letter from uh, someone today talking about you know another union that negotiate upwards of 5.6 i'd have to I'll, find it and i'll post Mm -hmm, it in mm -hmm. the links but it's just like why why should we settle for three percent why should we settle for you know um less than what we're asking for why do we have to continue going back and forth at the table with you know the ontario hospital associations or various hospital associations? why can we not get what we deserve and that's because i think we don't have a collective voice and we need to have one and i really hope that like i said at the top of the episode don't hate the player, hate the game. It's about looking at the system that's creating this this need for having agency nurses and that's what we should be tackling. Definitely not the people who are working in agencies because they because you know what, if that opportunity is created, people are going to gravitate towards, you know, having better hours, better pay. Mm-hmm. So look at the root causes. Let's look at, you know, how we could have better f- uh, flexible schedules, how we can have better pay equity, how we can have, you know, just making sure that we have an environment where we feel that we're, you know, safe staffing. Those are the things that we should be asking for. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I I don't know. I, I, I really hope that we can, um, encourage people to think about this differently Mm -hmm. and continue to encourage the conversation. Cause whenever I see people feeling like they're being targeted or groups of individuals feeling that they're targeting, I think that's what stalls the conversation. I think that's what stalls progress. And, um, Again, we've been in this climate where there's so much fractures and people are feeling tense. Think about consciously how you word things, how you go about in saying things, even if even if the situation is that, yes, we need to, you know, remove agencies from the equation. It's not the agency nurses. It's the agency. So I hope that, you know, through this episode, we can shed some light, shed some perspective and, you know, continue the conversation forward.
1: Absolutely. And I think that just us seeing other success stories is really inspiring. And it makes me think that we can do it here too.
0: Yeah. We need to put the incentives in the right place. I think that's kind of what we're saying. Incentivize the right thing and you'll have the nurses in the right environment that they should be in.
1: Absolutely. And we would love to hear from anyone listening or watching. If you have any uh, stories about unions or agencies, or even your experience being an internationally educated nurse, we'd love to hear from you. Um, So I just wanted to thank everyone for listening to the Gritty Nurse Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, make sure you hit the subscribe button, like, and leave us a review. And remember, we all have a little grit to give. A hundred percent. Thanks so much for listening.